Now, what, what's, let me, I need to back up a second. What I'm going to try to do in a few Wednesday nights here, uh, not just tonight, Pastor, I think will be back next week, and then I'll be back a week after that. But one of the things I'm going to try to do this summer, uh, this fall, spring and summer, is go through some of the principles that we teach in faith recovery, because if you don't know what faith recovery is, it's, a, it's an addiction program, yes, but really what a faith recovery is, is a discipleship program, because discipleship is what makes addiction, uh, what will, what is what will free people from their addiction. Salvation, discipleship, that's the main component in any true recovery program. And some of the, and the principles that we've established in those that we call them the 12 truths, all of those 12 truths apply to everybody regardless of whether you think you have an addiction. By the way, my theory, can I give you my theory? It's okay. My theory is y'all have an addiction. Everybody in here has an addiction. I know that because I know you're all sinners, right? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about most people. Uh, yeah, we're all sinners. And I know if you're like me, there is probably in your life, everybody's individual's life is different. At least one, if not two or three, what we would call besetting sins, right? Something you struggle with day in, day out. There's something you, there's always that comp- that little thing. So when we talk about the 12 truths, well, I'm going to kind of go through those 12 truths. Uh, I'm not going to start. Actually, I'm actually going to start with uh, truth number five tonight. My, my heart will lie to me about my addiction. That's one of the things we teach in faith recovery. Uh, we go through one of the 12 truths every week. Uh, then they have a uh, council time where they go sit in uh, a different room and talk about those truths, talk about the things in their life, try to get some help, explain their problems, try to get them connected with the counselor so that when that tempting time comes, uh, hopefully they'll either pick up a phone call, pick up the phone and call somebody, or they'll just get on their knees and talk to the Lord. And they need to be trained to do that. A lot of people did not, like me, I did not grow up in church. So there's a lot of things I didn't know. So as we go through these 12 truths, I want you to understand uh, what we'll be teaching there so you'll have a better idea what happens in the next room. Uh, they'll have about 40 people in there, and we'll go through these principles. Tonight's principle, my heart will lie to me about my addiction. I, I think most of you know that. Uh, why can't you trust your own heart? Everybody should know that, right? Anybody know why you can't trust your own heart? It's right there on the screen. Can you see that, by the way? Is that big enough for you most of you? Okay. Uh, you can't trust your own heart because it's deceitful. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, I like to break some of those verses down. When I'm in faith recovery, a lot of times I'm talking to people who did not grow up in church. And sometimes, you won't believe this, the King James Bible kind of throws them off a little bit. They'll read words and go, what? I mean, you throw a word out like concupiscence. It's not a word you use an awful lot in daily conversation. It's a good word, by the way, and you need to understand what it means. But when I look at the Bible, I want to make sure they understand it. The heart is deceitful uh, above all things. That simply means it's more slippery. It's more sly. It's more polluted. It's more corrupt. Now, think about this. Listen to what he's saying. It's more slippery, sly, corrupt, polluted than anything else you know. You understand the depth of that, just that one statement? We're talking about your own personal heart, my own personal heart. What's inside of me is desperate, deceitful, sly. My heart always, always lies to me. That won't hurt. Go ahead and do it. That's a good idea. You ought to punch him in the nose. You know what you ought to do? My heart is always telling me those kind of things. So the heart is deceitful above all things. It's more slippery, sly, crooked, and polluted. It's desperately wicked. Uh, that simply means exactly what you think it means. It's seriously or dangerously or perilously uh, polluted. Who can know it? I think, how many of you have ever had this happen? I think, I don't know a better way to say this, so don't get confused. I think I know what I think. 
until I'm in a moment where I don't know what I think. Anybody know what I mean by that? I think I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to happen. I know what my standards are. I know what my personal standards are. I know what principles I draw that from the scripture. I can even quote the scripture. And at one point, I have to make a decision and what happens. I ignore all that and trust what? My own heart. Because my heart will tell me something different. My heart will say something like, yeah, but in this case, right? Or because of this situation, or because of what that person deserves, my heart lies to me, and so does yours. So the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, by the way, uh, we all thought, for some reason, everybody can quote Jeremiah 17, 9, but they don't know what Jeremiah 17, 7, two verses before that. Actually, both verses. Verse 8 is also a good verse. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. The concept is this. You're either trusting one or the other, Right? You're either trusting your heart or you're trusting the Lord. But not only is the heart, not only is the heart deceitful, the heart is actually arrogant. Now you may not, I know, I'm not trying to insult you tonight, but there's arrogance in us all. There's pride in us all. We all think we know better. Sometimes we think we do better. I don't know about you. I look around a little bit and I can usually find somebody who's not doing as good as I am, Right? I, well, I might not. I have actually said this in my lifetime, maybe not out loud a lot, every time, but most of the time in my head. Well, at least I'm better than. If I was Pastor Monty, I'd say at least I'm better than Pastor Wall. He always likes to pick on Pastor Wall. Uh, but uh, the easy tart. No, I'm just kidding. His mom said, do you does that bother you when he does that? I'm sure it does. <laughs> so I won't do it. And she's very close. So I won't do that. OK, so. <laughs> Uh, the scripture says this, Proverbs 28, 26, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. And there's a lot of definitions in the Bible about the word fool, but in that particular case, I love this definition. This is an actual de- Hebrew definition. The fool in that is called as an arrogant idiot. By raise of hands, how many of you have ever met an arrogant idiot? Okay. How many of you have ever seen one in the mirror? I mean, okay, you get the idea. That's what our, fool will t- our heart will tell us. I know better. I know, and I have, I have even gotten to the point, I guarantee you, you have at one point or another in your life, I have even gotten to the point where I may not have said again the words out loud, but the thought ran through my mind. I know better than God in this situation. If I were God, I would have. You know what those words indicate to me? You are an arrogant idiot. That is, that's what a fool says. I know a fool says, I don't even believe there is a God. Arrogant idiot. How do you think you got here? Well, evolution. Oh, stop with the evolution thing. I, you know, I, I, I graduated from a public high school. I didn't get saved till my senior year. So I got taught the concept of evolution all the way through. We were a very progressive high school. Actually, it was a brand new high school in South Carolina. And I heard all and I tried my hardest to buy into that. I really did. You know, something came from nothing. OK, well, where did the nothing come from? Well, it came from other nothings. Well, where did that nothing come from? Well, something blew up. Well, where did the something that blew up? Either matter has always has, has to be, or God, either matter is eternal or God is eternal, right? So either intel, unintelligence is eternal or intelligence is eternal. I'll choose God. Thank you. I don't have to be a genius. But that's what an arrogant fool does. Uh, he t- trusts his own heart's a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Now, Words like that you have to note in an addiction program. He shall be what? What does that mean? He shall be delivered. He delivered from the bondage of something, right? 
Delivered from being captured from something. You can't be delivered unless you've been captured. And so it's one of the things we try to get people to understand. You keep doing things your own way and you will stay the way you are. Something has to change. You need to quit being an arrogant idiot. We have people come in all the time and they'll give me all kinds of excuses, all kinds of nonsense about why they use or why they drink or why they have this kind of action or why they say this. I love my favorite statement I hear all the time is, well, that's just the way I am. Okay, you can't change. You can change and you should change. Uh, We know what the Bible says, though, the trust in the Lord with all thine heart, right? Lean not into your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. So we can't trust our heart, right? Because it's deceitful. We can't trust our heart because it's arrogant. Uh, I love it when I tell people that I actually, I've actually said this in counseling. I've actually said this to somebody. I said, you know, I think the problem right now is you really have a pride problem. You think you know more than everybody else. And I love that. I don't know how you're supposed to argue with that. Here's the argument. Don't you like the argument back? No, I don't. I know what I think. and I'm not arrogant. Like, but you just prove that you are by arguing with me that you aren't. The humble person rarely argues about whether they're arrogant or not. Right. And so that's a struggle. So uh, it's deceitful. It's arrogant. Here's another thing about the heart. I don't know if you know this, but your heart is a liar. Your heart will lie to you. When years ago, uh, oh, about 20 years ago, my son is an ultra runner. He runs uh, 50 mile races, 100 mile, literally actually runs one, from start to finish 100 miles. Morris, don't do that. OK, but he pushed me and pushed me, and pushed uh, Becky and I to start running. And so we started running. I still remember uh, about 15 minutes, probably a little longer than that. 20 years ago, first time we ran, actually without stopping, we ran a mile. We thought we were the toughest people on the planet. I, I mean, I was telling people, I, I got, I was, you know what I did today? I ran a whole mile. I mean, I didn't even stop. Now, I didn't run fast, but I did run a whole mile, okay? Uh, and then we, you know, as we continued to go, we did the 5K thing, you know, 3.1. We did the 5K thing. Then we did the, uh, the mini marathon, I don't know, eight or nine years. And so uh, my, my son told me something early on. He said, Dad, remember this. The first mile is a liar. I had no idea. How many runners know what that means? You know what that means? What happens when you start running the first mile, about a half a mile in, it's according to what shape you're in, maybe a quarter mile in. You start thinking, I can't do this. I'm going to die. I can't even breathe anymore. If I don't stop, I will pass out. The first mile, your heart is lying to you the whole time, telling you, you need to stop. Back then, you know, 15 years ago, I was uh, uh, in my early 50s and I was telling myself, I'm 50 years old. I shouldn't be doing this. I got to stop doing it. Okay, well, my heart does that on all areas with me, and yours does too. I, I like what, I, I mean, what David said in Psalms. He said, why boasteth thyself in thy mischief? Why are you so proud about what you're doing? Why are you so arrogant? How many of you ever known people that are very proud about how much they drink? Or how much they carouse around? Or how much money they spend? Why are you boasting about that kind of stuff? Why are you so proud? What, where's that come from? Well, that's because your heart is also arrogant. It goes on to say, The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. Here's the question then. So I agree, I, I think you agree with me, your heart's a liar. But why does your heart lie? Well, the, verse, the next verse tells you. Look at the verse. It's very clear here. It says, Thou lovest evil more than good. I lie because I don't... 
I don't want you to know I love evil more than good. So I have to come up with some kind of lie, some kind of excuse, some kind of thing to tell you so that you'll believe that I'm okay, right? How many of you know anything about addicts? How many of you know that addicts typically are liars? They really are. Uh, not every addict, but most of them are. And I've met some honest addicts in my life, some who look me right in the face and say, yep, I used yesterday and I'm going to use again tonight. And it's like, wow, that's a rare thing, but you do have it. But most of the time, it's a lie. I, they want to cover themselves. Uh, they, they, they love evil more than they're good. And lying rather than speaketh righteousness. I like the little phrase there, that musical pause, Selah. It means pause and consider this. Pause and think, why do you lie? You say, well, I lie because I don't want to embarrass myself. Well, the base of that is you love evil, but you don't want to stop doing what's wrong. So you lie to cover. You lie to hide it. And your heart will continue to do that. Thou lovest evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. Thou lovest all devouring words. I read that today and I, thought, I didn't have a phrase behind that. And I thought, what is that? What is that when you say devouring? Because I think devour, you know, uh, was it January? Devour Indiana? Is that that? Wasn't that? How many of you ever done that? They have all the special restaurant stuff. And I thought, well, that means to eat, right? Devour, you devour something, you eat it quickly. That's exactly what it means in, he, in Hebrew, too. Uh, Thou lovest all devouring words, words that swallow up truth. Isn't that a good definition? Anybody ever, anybody ever talked to somebody and you knew they were speaking to you in devouring words? They were swallowing up the truth or covering the truth in what they were saying? Okay, so that's part of the problem. You can't trust your heart because your heart is deceitful. You can't trust your heart because your heart is arrogant. You cannot trust your heart because your heart is a liar. In fact, uh, look at the next part of the verse. This is the same verse, Psalm 52. Uh, not only is your heart deceitful, not only is it a liar, uh, but not only is it arrogant, but your heart is insatiable. Now, that's Pastor Monty's word, insatiable. It just means your heart can't be satisfied. By the way, uh, in the next, fra next page here, I'll show you in a minute. Uh, your heart can't, there's nothing on this planet that you can do or you can have or you can be that will satisfy your heart. Only God can do that. Did you know that? People are searching for satisfaction. If I get rich, I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. If I had the right wife, I'd be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. If I had, uh, if I had uh, the right bass boat and, the, and I was <laughs> retired, I, sometimes I think that. Get me a nice bass boat, find me a nice lake, a house on the lake. I could enjoy that until, you know, I got bored with it and then I'd have to find something else to satisfy me. We all do that, right? If I had a new truck, that would satisfy me. No, it wouldn't. I had a new truck several years ago. It's nine years old now, almost 10 years old. And I still like my truck, so that's, a, that's not a good illustration. It's a good truck, okay? Uh, look what the next, next part of that verse said. I, I like this. Your heart's insatiable. God shall likewise destroy, destroy thee. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of the dwelling place and root thee out of the land. By the way, all of these verses, if you know anything about addiction, all these verses apply. You, you ever think about this? He shall take thee out of thy dwelling place. Anybody, anybody down to Good News Mission or Wheeler Mission? There's a lot of people down there out of their dwelling place. Why? Because of their continued choice of sin. Again, he says, Selah, think about that. Pause and think about it. Consider it. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. Now, look at this phrase. And strengtheneth himself in his wickedness. As you continue to lie to yourself, as you continue to see yourself, as you continue to tell yourself, I'm better than I am, you will strengthen yourself in that thought. Even though the consequences are getting worse and worse, you will steal up. 
I've known people, I mean, they lost their house. I mean, well, they lost their job. They lost their house. They lost their, their spouse. Their kids no longer love them. And they'll still look me in the face and say, I'm okay. I'm going, no, you're not. You know why they think like that? They've been strengthened in that wickedness that, that's taken control of them. That lifestyle has completely dominated them, and yet they still, they still indulge in it. We'll ask, I'll tell you why in a little bit, but it, this, you continue to be strengthened in it. So think about, if you got the first four notes, it's real simple, right? Uh, number one is what? What do you know for number one about your heart? You can say it loud, deceitful. Number two? It is arrogant. Number three? It, don't you hate saying that about yourself? I'd love to tell you, uh, I, I'm a pastor and I've been in the ministry going on 48 years now. It won't be long, uh, 19, uh, let's see, 78, 77 when I graduated from Bible college. So in 2012, so what's that, 46 years, right? So 46 years, and I'd love to tell you after 46 years of being in the ministry and preaching and condemning lying and promoting honesty and truth in a Christ-like lifestyle that I have conquered lying in my life, I never lie. Here's the problem. None of you are going to believe that, right? I, I, I will say this. I am less and less characterized by lying. I can honestly say that, right? You can ask my wife or you could ask my children. And that's what we're shooting for. I want to be less and less characterized by those truths, right? I want to be less and less characterized by lying. So that's number three. Number four is? Your heart's what? Insatiable. You will not, you will not find anything to fill the hole in your heart until you find Christ. And after that, you will still not be satisfied until you live for Him. Amen? In fact, that's exactly what the Scripture says. Your heart can't be satisfied by anything on this earth. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Uh, Steve Currington used to say, there's nothing that you can ever possess, nor is there nothing you can ever, ever become, and there's nothing you can ever uh, do that will satisfy you. And you know what? He's right. None of those things will, are, are going to satisfy you. Only thing, it's, it's a weird thing. When I stop doing for me and I do for others in the Lord, I find true and lasting satisfaction. Isn't that an odd thing? You're looking for it everywhere else. That's because your heart has deceived you. In fact, it goes on to say, uh, Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord tendeth the life and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. That's where true satisfaction is found, right? And I hope you understood that. Uh, I, we got some, boy, we got some good preaching this week, did we not? Sunday, uh, that Sunday night message, phew. you know, Sunday night, it's always a little embarrassing as a pastor. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of each service, you know, the invitation, the pastors will go to the back, the three of us, and then, or four of us, and then we will come forward to help anybody. Who, well, Sunday night, you may have noticed I was not standing there. That's because the Holy Spirit was like, ahem. <clears throat> he's not talking to anybody else. He's talking to you. I love those kind of, I, I need those kind of messages. I don't always enjoy them right, right away, but I am, I, later on I am, because if I do the right thing, there is that peace and satisfaction of the soul, right? And so I, I need some good preaching. And I think we got some this weekend. That's where real satisfaction is found. So now let me ask you a question. When we're talking about satisfaction, I'm going to ask you a question. Simple little question. Why do we do the things we do? How many of you ever asked yourself this question? You did something really stupid, dumb, sinful. You, you picked the, the, the uh, adjective there. Uh, you did something and you asked yourself this question. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? You knew it was wrong, right? 
you knew you shouldn't do it. Even before you did it, maybe, the Holy Spirit convicted. And then you did it anyway. How many of you ever said that to yourself? Why did I? Okay, most of us have. Okay, I'm going to answer that question for you tonight. Okay, so why do we do what we do? Well, here's, here's, here's the first part of the answer. Okay, we do what we do because we want what we want. If I want something bad enough, I will do what it takes to get it. Now, by the way, that can be both positive and negative, correct? Hard work's not a bad thing. If I want something bad enough, I will do what it takes to get it. Uh, I will work diligently. I will do my job well so that you guys pay me as a pastor and give me some vacation days so I can go to national parks and hike. That's one of the things I love to do. I've been in 27 national parks and hiked in all of them. I got three more to catch this year. I'm going to hike in three more national parks this year. And I will do what it takes so I can get there. Okay. So why do we do what we do? It's because we want what we want. Okay, well, doesn't that beg another question, though? Anybody know what the next question is? Well, here's the next question. Well, why, well, why do we want what we want? We do what we do because we want what we want. But why do we want what we want? You know what the answer to that is? I'll give you the answer. We want what we want because we believe what we believe. If I believe that going to the National Park and hiking is going to be fun and I'm really going to enjoy it, I will desire it. I will want it, right? And if I want it, what will I do? I will do what's necessary to get it. By the way, that works. If I believe, if I believe that taking some drug, right, or drink, or behaving a certain way will get me something I want, then I will do it. It works all the way through. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter what the issue is, positive or negative. That's what we do. If I believe a certain truth, I will want, I will desire that. Uh, I believe back in 1970. Four, that I met a beautiful red-headed young lady and she would make a good wife. I believe that. I really believe that. And guess what? I wanted to date her. And I did. And after I dated her for a while, how many of you know what happens? It took me a while to convince her, but uh, I fell in love with her and I married her. Right? So, what I believe control what I want, what I want, control what I did. So that begs one more question though, doesn't it? How many of you know what the next question is? Yeah, well, why do we believe what we believe? Oh, now we're getting to the heart of the matter, okay? Because when I tell you this one, you'll get it. So we believe what we believe, which causes us to want what we want, which causes us to do what we do. So why do we believe what we believe? Okay, because we trust who we trust. Let me say it this way. See if this will help you. Look at me for a second. Quit writing for a second. Look at me. Here, here's what it boils down to. I either trust him or him. Right? Now, look, listen to me. Remember what we said about the heart? Remember everything we said about the heart? It's deceitful. It's arrogant. Right? It's a liar. It's insatiable. I know those truths. Knowing those truths, sometimes I still trust him. Isn't that foolish? You know, I know a lot of people, you'll walk by faith recovery, you'll sit, look in the room, you see people and say, oh, those poor people in there, they got real problems. <clears throat> so do you. Theirs just have different consequences sometimes than yours do, right? So think about what I'm saying. So if I trust him, I'm going to believe what? What am I going to believe? If I trust me, I'm going to believe this, right? I'm going to believe this is best for me. It is always best for me when you eat ice cream, to eat it not by the pint, you little sissies, you. By the half gallon. 
That is a serving of ice cream. Jerry, don't laugh. Do you eat, you're not an ice cream guy? Okay, so have you ever done that, a whole half gallon? I have. Yes, that's, yeah, there needs to be a program for that. But, uh, yeah, I, if I'll listen to me. I'll say, it's not going to matter. I'll tell myself this. Morris, you're in pretty good shape. 67 years old. I went last night and played basketball, half-court basketball, for two hours. My feet are killing me. And my shoulder is not, if I get this hand above my head, don't be, if I don't get it above my head, don't be surprised. It's just not going that far anymore. And I was like, I tell myself, you're in pretty good shape. You can still play basketball. You play pickleball. You can still run a mile without stopping. You're in great shape. It won't bother you to eat a half a gallon of ice cream, right? Not if I do that every night. Gina, is that, you're in athletics and physical education. Is that, that's, that's okay if you're in shape, right? <laughs> She's like, don't look at me. <laughs> I put you on the spot, did I? Okay, but you get what I'm saying. I, I'm either going to listen to him or I will listen to him. My body's a temple of the Holy Ghost, right? And I should take good care of it. Not just because of me, because I'm here, my body is here to serve him. And if I don't take care of it, I won't be of good service to him. Right? That's important. You understand what I'm saying? So you got that choice. So let's go through it again. So. You see what it is? We do what we do. Why do we do what we do? You answer me. Why do we do what we do? Why do we want what we want? You're not a very loud class. You would not make it in my high school class. Okay. So why do we believe what we believe? Okay, let me ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. You don't have to answer this out loud. Who do you trust the most? Now, don't, I, I, now listen, don't trick yourself with the question. I did not say, do you trust God? I believe you do. You wouldn't be here if you didn't trust God to some degree, right? If you didn't trust God at all, why are you listening to what it says in his word? You do trust God, amen? Will you, will you confess to this too? You also trust yourself, true? The question isn't who do you trust, the question is what? Who do you trust the most? I think part of spiritual maturity is simply trusting self less and him more. You ever think about it that way? That's really spiritual maturity, putting my faith and confidence in him. And even when I don't understand why I should do what he says I should do, I still do it. Why? Because I trust him. I know God is good and he's doing good in my life. And I know that he would not have me do something that's not good for me. Even if I don't understand it, even if I can't see it, even if I, in fact, I think, like I said before, I think that's the essence of faith. When I don't comprehend, I I have faith in a lot of things I do comprehend, but I also have faith in things I don't comprehend. You say, why? Because it says it in his word and I trust him. Amen. Now, I think this is where we need to stop, and let me give you how we define addiction in our program, okay? This, is, uh, this, this, this definition was written by all the people in the program. Uh, we went through, uh, I don't know how many different university definitions, Mayo Clinic definition, hospital definitions. I, had the, I printed out psychological, psychiatric definitions of addiction. We went through what addiction is. We went through everything we could see in the Bible. And we came up with this definition. And I think it's a very good a- a definition of addiction. Okay, It should be on your paper, right? Okay, if you're, I think I left off some blanks. The red words there. Addiction is a chronic or intense craving. Now make sure you get the two words here. For a substance or a behavior. It's not just a substance. Sometimes it's a behavior. You can, you can be addicted to bitterness of your own anger, right? Uh, you can be addicted to sexual activity, okay? 
illicit sexual activity. Okay, so it's a chronic or intense craving for a substance or behavior that leads you. Now, we put this word in here intentionally also. To choose, it is a choice you make. You say, well, don't you believe in the disease model in addiction? I believe the disease model in addiction comes after all those choices because you can become chemically attached to a different, like cigarettes and nicotine. That can happen. And now you have a physical and a mental process going on. The physical is yearning for it. The mental is agreeing with it. Boy, you got some trouble then when both of those are against you, right? When your mind and your body are saying go, that's a problem. Amen? So it leads you to choose to indulge in that substance or behavior. Now, here's the important part. Regardless of the negative and harmful consequences, you know it's wrong. You know it's bad. You know you're going to get negative consequences if you do it, and you do it anyway. That's an addiction. Some people, listen to me, some people in this room, and I wouldn't doubt I'm I'm on, on the money here, some people in this room have a food addiction. You don't eat because you're hungry. You eat because you like the way it t- makes your tongue feel, the, the taste it gives your tongue, and that makes you happy. And you have told yourself, I will be happy if I eat more. Right? <laughs> Nobody's fessing up now. Okay, that's all right. Uh, you, but that ha- does that happen or not? Uh, we have some people in our program that are there for food addiction. It's a good, if you have that problem, and you can't get control of it, you better get some help because if your mind and your body continue down that track, you'll destroy your health for sure, right? We, we, it's funny, we look at some of the addictions that people have as not as serious. For some reason, drugs and alcohol, they have harsher and more devastating consequences, those two, amen? We all agree with that, okay? Sexual addiction does too, especially when it, it gets... I'm looking around to see how many kids, I don't think there's any kids here. When it gets perverted into, you know, something like rape or it gets perverted into something like molesting children, horrible consequences. But can I tell you something? Uh, Death from overweight and heart disease is not exactly a good consequence. You know it's bad for you, but you do it anyway. Right? Would you agree with, how many would say, that's a fairly good, you don't have to say it's perfect, but you would agree that's a fairly good definition of what an addiction is, okay? Now, if that's a good definition, here's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to think about that in your own heart, in your own life, where are you? Pastor came in and took a bunch of guys to the, his room. I'm not saying a bunch of people should get up now and go to faith recovery, uh, but something, if it's a serious enough problem, yeah, that's something you, you need to do. You really do. You need to think about that. Uh, let me give you a little, couple of things here. Let me give, tell you a little bit about the lies we tell ourselves. Uh, most of these have connect, a direct connection to drugs, alcohol, and those type of addictions that we deal with in faith recovery. But there are also lies we tell ourselves in a lot of other areas too, right? Uh, number one, uh, I, I've heard this all, these are some of the sentences I've been told in my lifetime. Uh, I don't need any help. <laughs> what, my, one of my fa- I think I've told you this before. One of my favorite things, I never forget the guy telling me this. Guy came into the mission one night and uh, came in off the street, had little to no clothes on. I mean, he was just a mess. He'd been living in a tent. Somebody stole his tent and he spent the night out on the ground and he came in. I brought him in the mission and uh, he asked me, could he take a shower? And I said, yeah, yeah, let me get you some clothes. I got him some good clothes. And he took a shower. Next morning he came to my office. We were talking. First thing he asked me in the morning, he said, hey, you gave me some clothes last night, but I don't have any underwear. 
I said, oh, well, let me get you some underwear. So I got him some underclothes, and he went back upstairs. Later in the day, he, went to, he got on the work uh, detail, and later in the day, he went to the Bible study. And that evening, we were talking, and he said, can I talk to you in, my, in, in your office? I said, sure, come in my office. When we sat down in the office, he sat across the desk from me, and he started telling me he was leaving. I said, what are you leaving for? He said, uh, I'm fine. He said, I don't need anybody's help. And I just kind of looked at him funny. I said, what? He goes, I don't need your help. He said, I, I, I'm, I'm good. I know how to take care of myself. You know what I said to him? You think I'm mean. I said, you don't even get your own underwear. You can't take care of yourself. It is amazing to me how many people will not admit that they have a problem. You've got a problem. Your wife left you? I, I, it's okay. I, I can handle it. Obviously, you don't. You, you're not handling it. What are you talking about? I don't need your help. I'm fine. I'm not an addict. I can quit anytime I want. I hear that all the time. Love that. Oh, love that statement. I can quit anytime I want to. Then do it. Basically, I don't have a problem, right? By the way, why does my heart tell me, why do I lie to myself and say I don't have a problem? Go back to number one on your paper. Why do I say that? My heart's deceived me, right? I'm so blind, I'm so strengthened in my lie that I don't even think I need help. How foolish is that? I don't have a problem. Well, what's the truth? Well, the truth is, even Paul said, I know that in my flesh, right? How many of you think Apostle Paul, after he came to Christ, was a tremendous Christian? Amen? But he said this about himself. I know that in me, that's in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good I would, I do not. But the evil which I would, that I do. Ever do that? I want to do good, but I end up doing wrong. Or I want to do right, but I ended up doing wrong. And I didn't want to do wrong, and did it anyway. Okay? Uh, now if I do that, I would not as no more I that do it, but sin that dwelt in me. I find in the law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. How many of you have experienced that law? <laughs> I'm going to do the right thing this time. And then I didn't do the right thing this time. Can I tell you something? We all have that problem. Paul had that problem. You had that. As long as I have flesh, I will be in a battle. How many of you noticed that one of the best things I liked about uh, Sunday night? Uh, Sunday night we were talking about bitterness and uh, he was in Hebrews chapter 12 and he talked about the roots of bitterness springing up within you. I love the point where he made the roots are already there. By the way, he's absolutely correct. Romans chapter 3, right? We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God, right? The roots are already there. The sinful nature is already there. We've practiced it so long, we're good at it. It's okay. Listen to me. It's okay to say, I have a problem and I need some help. Amen? I will tell you right now, I don't know, I, I'm almost 100%, I can't say 100%, but I'm pretty high percentage uh, believe that if I wasn't for my wife, I would not be in the ministry today. She has helped me many times to think rationally when I, my heart lied to me and said, I'll tell you what, these church, they don't care anything about me. Right? I need, you need that, okay? Uh, another lie we tell ourselves, the lies we tell ourselves. I'm not like other addicts. I know what I'm doing. I love this one. I'm in control. You know, I found this to be true in my life. I think you'll find it to be true in your life. Every time I'm in control of my life, I mess it up. I, I just, I just, I have found that the closer I stay to the truths of this book, living it by the dictates of God's word, 
I don't know, the better it gets. The smoother it runs. I love when people say to me stuff like, well, Brother Morris, I just wish I had uh, a relationship with my grandkids like you have with your grandkids. If you knew how many times I've hammered my grandkids in the face with the Bible, you'd think they'd hate me. They don't because they know it's the truth. And they respect that because I'll tell them the truth. And uh, we sat there uh, Sunday night and uh, the message was pretty strong. And it, it was a point to hit one of my grandkids in the face. And I reached over at that moment and grabbed her hand and looked her in the face and just shook my head. And of course the invitation, she's, yeah, I'm mean like that. I want to know, you're, you're not in control. You're trying to control your own life, that's not going to work. You can't live like that. The Bible tells us, uh, the, transgre- the, the transgression of the wicked saith within his heart, there is no fear of God before my eyes. I, I love this phrase. Again, think of an addict. Think of an addict when you think of this or think of yourself. For he that flattereth himself in his own eyes and to his iniquity be found hateful. Anybody reading any addiction problem into that? He keeps telling himself, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Until what? Until his life's hateful. He's miserable. And I tell you, I've seen some miserable things in people's life. I, I've unfortunately had um, the... the uh, point in my life in both the addiction center I worked in in Rockford, Illinois and in Good News Mission to have somebody die on my watch. Had a guy die in the upstairs in the men's shower room right between, you know, the little dividers fell off the toilet in the little spot between there. When I went to go help him up, somebody said he fell out. He's passed out. He wasn't passed out. He literally had the band and the needle still in his arm. And I think to myself, why? What are you doing? His iniquity was found to be hateful, right? He continued in it. The words of his mouth, the Bible goes on to say, the words of his mouth are iniquity. He has left off to be wise and to do good. And that's what happens. When you start listening to your heart, you're no longer wise because this is the truth. If you're not listening to him, you're only listening to him. You'll leave the path. You won't be doing good anymore. You will do, listen to me, you will do things that you thought before were unspeakable, much less things that you thought you would ever do. I, if, you've, if you've ever said this to yourself, you need to repent and ask God uh, to give you the right attitude because you have an arrogant heart. If you've ever said to yourself, I, if you, whatever the situation, whatever the crime was, whatever somebody did, if you say this, I would never do that, you are a fool. You're fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. Outside of the grace of God, And the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God, yes, you will. And I'm not talking about one or two of you. I'm talking about everybody in this room. You're all in the same boat with me. Right? You're not in control. If you try to control it, you're in trouble. You better know this book and you better have some of that buried deeply in your heart. Because that's the only thing that keeps me from sinning against him. Thy word I've hid in my heart, right? That I might not sin against. Okay. I got to keep going here. I'm going to run out of time. This is one of the things, this is kind of the confession. We call it face freedom point. This is one of the things I think every addict needs to say to himself, right? Some of you may need to say it yourself. I must accept the fact, (laughs) I love this. I must accept the fact that if I knew what was best for me, well, I wouldn't keep choosing what's worse for me. (laughs) Right? People say, I know what's best. Then why do you keep doing this bad stuff? Right? Well, I know what's best. No, you don't. If you really knew that was best for you, you wouldn't keep doing what's worse for you. And if I could fix my problems on my own, I would have already fixed them. If you were in such control that you could handle it, then handle it. You say, well, I can't. 
then if confess it and admit you can't. Okay? If I, if, if I could fix my problems on that, it would be fixed. And if the truth is, if I really knew how to control my addiction, <laughs> I wouldn't have an addiction. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes, some of the struggles that I have, I don't know sometimes how to control them. All I can do at points in my life is to pray and ask God to, to take control. Oh God, I'm about to do something stupid. I'm about to say something stupid. Remember last, uh, was that uh, Monday night he was talking about walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit, and he was asking what, we all came up with the right answers, didn't we? Yeah, if you did this, you'd be in the flesh. If you did this, you'd be in the spirit. In that time, when you're thinking rationally, it all comes easy, right? Pretty simple to understand. But buddy, when you're all the way in the flesh and you're in the middle of it, and you think you've got it under control, you'll find out you don't have it under control really quick. I got to move on. Some other lies we tell ourselves. No one knows I'm using or addicted. I'm not affecting. It's not. A, I love this one. It's not affecting my work or my performance at, uh, at my home or my service to the Lord. Really? Uh, nobody knows about my sin. Ah. Can I tell you something? I don't even have to read the next verse, but can I tell you something before I read the next verse? Typically, everybody knows. Pretty much everybody knows. It's pretty obvious sometimes. And, and the people who think that nobody knows are sometimes the most obvious to me. It's like, nobody even knows what I drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I, have a, I, I had a friend, a, a, a guy I was working with, a friend in another church, and I would call him or text him and ask him, are you going to be at the meeting tonight? Uh, no, I think I've got a cold. Okay. Next week, uh, my cold's developed into a flu. Oh, Okay. Give him a couple of weeks. I'd call him again. Hey, you're going to come tonight? No, I, I hurt my leg. I never knew a guy that had, I mean, seriously, in a year's time, he must have been injured, sick, or dying 20, 30 times. And you say, well, did you give up on him? No. Even now, 10 years later, I, 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 sometimes it's almost, unfortunately, a humorous thing in our house. I'll text him. I'll say, hey, we got that addiction program. You ought to come to the new program. You really like the program. Yeah, I'd like the program, but I can't. Why not? I have the flu. He's had the flu. If he has the flu as many times as he's had the flu, I, I don't even want to go near this guy. He's got something wrong with it. We, we, that's what we do, right? Nobody knows. I know what's going on. Do you really think I don't know what's going on? If I've spent months and months and months working with you, you don't think I know? You don't think your wife knows? You don't think your kids know what's going on? Right? Dad sends him to bed every night late. Locks himself in a room with a computer. You don't think we know what's going on? What you're watching, what you're doing? Come on. Well, they didn't see it. They don't have to see it. They see the results in your life. Right? The truth is nothing is secret that, uh, that shall not be made manifest. Anything hid that shall, not be, uh, that shall not be known and come abroad. By the way, a lot of people apply that to when I get to heaven, it'll all come out. <laughs> I got bad news for you. That's now. You can't keep things secret very long in this world. And not in our society. Right? Uh, I, I found this to be true. I'd rather confess it and get it right and let everybody know I messed up than hide it and have it, somebody else bring it out for me. Amen? It's a good principle to live by. I, I got to move on here. The lies we tell ourselves. Number four. I'm not hurting anyone. It's my life, and I have a right to do with it whatever I, I've heard that. Boy, have I heard that. I do whatever I want with my life. Well, I got some bad news for you. 
especially if you're a Christian, it's not your life. And you do affect other people. In fact, the scripture says this, for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. You affect, you affect the people around you. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to affect them. You don't have to try. I don't try, I don't think, we got a grocery list. I'm going to go to Walmart or Kroger or wherever and I'm going to get some groceries. Do you think when I walk in there, I think, I want to, I don't want to affect anybody. No, I don't even think about it. But do I affect people? The way, I, the way I buy groceries, the way I talk to people, the way I conversate with the cashier. Am I affecting people? Absolutely. Everything I do is affecting people. How I teach this lesson hopefully is affecting you. How I talk to my grandkids is affecting them. I'm not an island. Well, I can tell my grandkids all I want. Well, don't look at my example. By the way, when you tell your grandkids that, you know what they're going to do, don't you? They're going to look right at your example. Why is he even saying that? What's he doing now that we need to know about? Okay. You affect everybody around you. You have a testimony where you like it. I forget, there was some basketball player. I think it was, maybe it's Charles Barkley. I don't remember who it was. One of them said, uh, I'm nobody's role model. You're an idiot. You're everybody's role model. Everybody you meet, you are an example to. You are an example of Christ-likeness or non-Christ-likeness. One or the other. You have a testimony in every response you give in every situation that you face. You face a harsh situation with somebody else, your response, if it's not Christ-like, affects them. And everybody who sees you. When my son was, uh, I think it was about the 10th grade, ninth or 10th grade, he was playing basketball. And uh, in the middle of a game, he lost his mouth. Well, he didn't lose it, he started using it. He lost his mind, stuff started coming out, and he yelled at a referee. I don't know if you think about basketball in Indiana, but that is not a good thing to do. He, he's not, he was not the captain of the team anyway. And he said something to the referee. The referee told him, stop it, young man, go on down the court. And he stopped, all right. He stopped right in front of the referee and said, some stuff. His dad was the scorekeeper of that game. I'm sitting there keeping the books for the game, and I'm watching this, not more than 20 feet away from me. Referee, ejecting from the game, I'm the scorekeeper. Guess who had to come tell number 23 was ejected from the game? He came and told me. Number 23 is ejected from the game, mouthing off to the referee. I said, uh, can we get another scorekeeper? So I took the scorekeeper. There was two, three of us sitting there, one guy on the clock. You remember Bob Salmon? Bob was sitting there and another guy sitting there. And I slid the, the guy said, I'll take the book. And I took so I was going to go to the locker room. Unfortunately, the locker rooms are right underneath the bleachers in the school, right? So I go to the locker room. He's in the locker room kicking the wall. And I let that boy have it. I told him, you ever embarrass me like that? You ever embarrass this school? I'm hollering and screaming like a madman. Some of you are getting the point, aren't you? Where did he learn to do that to a referee? Do you know people in the bleachers were hearing me yell, about, yell at him about yelling at the referee? What an idiot. I sat down that night when we got home, apologized to him, asked him to forgive me. And I said, look, both of us got to get in control of our temper. This is ridiculous. You can't do that, and I've taught you how to do it, and I can't do it. Right? Sometimes you just have to remind yourself, who are you? 
What kind of testimony? I've tried in my life to go from something terrible happening and people see Brother Morris go down and jump up and go, oh my gosh. To now they just go, well, he didn't even get mad at all. What's wrong with him? I'd rather be that guy. Amen? I'd rather have that cry. I'm an example whether I like it or not. So are you. Okay, the truth. Uh, here's another lie, okay? I need, you can fill in the blank for yourself, I need whatever the substance of behavior is. It helps me cope with my problems. Or, I love this statement, just one more, that's all I need. <laughs> By the way, will, that, will, will your heart be satiated? No. Okay, uh, I can't live without it. It's just who I am. Brother Morris, you understand, I'm a depressed person. It's just my nature. Oh, well, let's just rip the book of Philippians right out of the Bible, because that doesn't obviously apply to you, right? Or does it? Maybe it does, right? You see what I'm saying? Well, I'm just, uh, I can't help it. I have, that's what I sold myself, by the way, all the time. I had bright red hair, red hair. I have a, a German, uh, uh, Irish background, family background. So if I'm Irish, that can't help it. I, I don't know where that came from. Are Irish really mad people? I don't know. I, I heard that growing up. And so if I'm redhead and I'm Irish in descent, I can't help it. That's what I am. That's how I was raised. Okay, well, time to grow up. Right? Time to change. I'm, I understand you have a problem. That doesn't mean you have to continue in that problem. Right? That's this foolish talk. Bible says this. God said this, Isaiah chapter 40. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the end. Think, God's saying, I can speak and create the earth. I can speak and create life from nothing. That's who I am. Have you ever thought about that guy? Have you not? Did you not know that he fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them to have no might, he increases strength. Can God help you overcome your problem? This is just a yes or no answer. Absolutely. If that's who God is, what in the world are you saying you can't? Yes, you can. You can totally change your life by the grace of God. You allow him to start running your life. You'll be amazed at the things that will change. You'll be amazed at the difference in your testimony. You can't do it. He can do it through you, though. Amen. One last thing. I can't stop. The truth. Is, oh, I went back wrong. The truth is, I don't care if I die, and no one else cares either. By the way, is that true? No, that's not true. I've, some people commit suicide because of that same thought. Nobody cares. And then, of course, after the funeral, at the funeral, everybody cares, but there's no hope for me. How many, don't raise your hand, but how many, ask yourself this question. How many of you have had a problem for so long you kind of feel that way? I'm never going to overcome this. It's never going to change. I'm always going to be this way. Can I tell you something? That is a lie. That is an absolute 100% lie. I'm not who I should be right now. I'm not as Christ-like as I should be. But thank God I'm not that 16-year-old boy that got saved back in 1973. That boy died a long time ago. And that stupid 20-year-old, arrogant, hot-headed, foul-mouthed, big-mouthed, not foul-mouthed, big-mouthed 20-year-old, he had to die too. And that overconfident 30-year-old who thought he knew everything the Bible had to say, he had to admit, no, I don't know a lot of stuff I still need to learn. And every top part of my life, 
there has had to be another change and another change. I'm pushing 70 now, and guess what? <sighs> Still things I'm working with, but by the grace of God, I think he can get me through them. I can't overcome. Are we not overcomers? Is that not what the scripture tells us? Can we overcome? There is hope, right? God said this, Isaiah chapter 41, Fear not, for I am with thee. By the way, this is not, this is not suggesting it's a command. Be not dismayed. Some of you need, listen to me, some of you need to hear that. Be not, stop that. Stop worrying, stop fretting, stop saying it can't happen. It absolutely can happen because of who God is. You're not supposed to be dismayed. You're not supposed to be downhearted. You're not supposed to be discouraged. You're supposed to be encouraged. And if you're not, it's because somewhere along the line, your heart is still lying to you and you're still believing it. For I am God, I will strengthen thee. You like that? I will help thee. Now, by the way, this is not me promising. If it was me promising, you might have some problems here. But God said, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will, I love this. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Amen? How many of you know that when Brother Ouellette, after cancer surgery, after throat surgery, preaching with a finger holding that device, God's not upholding him with the right hand of his righteousness. Amen? And if he can do it for him, can I ask you a question? Can he do it for you? Yes or no? Absolutely. For I, the Lord God, will hold thy right hand, saying thee, fear not. I Twice in the same verse, two verses. I will help thee. Only problem is, you have to accept that help. And you have to accept that his help comes in his way. That's one of the problems I have in marriage counseling a lot of time. Not, not pre-marriage, but marriage counseling when there's a problem. People come to my office and say, we're having a terrible time. Our marriage is falling apart. What should we do? I say, here's what you should do. Oh, I don't know if we can do that. <laughs> well, keep doing what you're doing and see if that's working. That's, well, that's not working. Right. So here's what you should do. Here's what you need to change. Whew, that would be hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. The way of the transgressor is hard. Doing right, right it will, it's hard to do it first because you've got some habits there, some addictions you've doted on for so long, some ways of living. You just need to change those. And I'll give you step-by-step instruction. This week, next week, however many weeks a day. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. You know how many times I'll tell people, here's what I want you guys to do this week. Take this home. I'll write it out. One, two, three, four things I want you to do this week. Come back next week. Okay, before we get started, let me ask you a question. Did you, did you read your homework assignment? Yes, we did. Did you do number one? Well, we didn't have time for number one. Oh, okay. Did you do number two? Well, I just didn't think that would be helpful. You know, I, want, I haven't done it. Well, I guess I have done it once. I just want to say, get out. But we want your help. No, you don't. You want me to tell you everything's going to be okay and make some silly promise that you don't have to change anything or do anything different, and it'll all be better. That's not how it works. God is standing here offering you help, and you say, um, let me look at what you got. Nah, not that. What else? It doesn't work like that, folks. You take God, and you do what He asks you to do, and that will change your life. So what's the definition of addiction? Here it is again. Addiction is a chronic or intense craving for a substance or behavior. That leads us to indulge in that substance or behavior regardless of its negative or harmful consequences. Here's one I want you to ask yourself tonight. Do I have a problem? Can I tell you this? 
If you just ask yourself, if you honestly ask yourself, to one degree or another, some very serious degrees, some not so much, I don't know that anybody here can say, nope, Holy Spirit didn't convict me of nothing. There's no, I'm, I got it. I'm in control. And your heart's going to start to continue that line. Can I tell you something? If that happens, nothing changes. Amen? So ask yourself the question, and then don't be afraid to make some changes to fix the problem. Quit lying to yourself. Quit listening to him and start listening to him. Amen? And during the fall, Lord, we just pray that you'll continue to work in our hearts and lives. Lord, I think for, the, for the most of the people in this auditorium, they know the truth. They understand the truth. They can quote the truth to us. Like me, Lord, we are well acquainted with what we should do and how we should live in a Christ-like manner. The problem is sometimes we lie to ourselves and say our way would be better. Help us to abandon that. Help us to choose you and your way and help us to be a Christian that gives a shining testimony of Christ and being glory to God in all that we do, whether we're at church or whether we're at home or whether we're in public. Help us to respond in a Christ-like manner. Help us to be a shining example of Christ-likeness to our children, to our families, to our church. We ask it all in his name. Amen.